the Netherlands, alcohol industry lobbyists have a seat at the alcohol policy table. Big alcohol is part of the government's prevention agreement. As a consequence of this institutionalized conflict of interest and systematic big alcohol interference, the best alcohol policy solutions to tackle the country's alcohol burden remain unused. The National Prevention Agreement signed in 2018 does not even include a single alcohol policy best buy solution. And now, to make matters even worse, the new coalition government is set to increase alcohol availability even more, benefiting big alcohol but putting people and communities in the Netherlands at even greater risk of alcohol harm. Hello, from Movendi International, I am Mike Dünnbier. Warm welcome to the Alcohol Issues podcast. This is the sixth episode of our second season. Thank you so much for tuning in. The Alcohol Issues podcast is an original production by Movendi International. It's a show about current alcohol issues of global importance. Through in-depth conversations with policymakers, community leaders and scientists, we explore alcohol policy issues, discuss landmark scientific studies and expose the alcohol industry. This episode is a brand new case study of how the alcohol industry hijacks and derails alcohol prevention efforts. People and community in the Netherlands are burdened by heavy alcohol harm. And in 2018, the government made a commitment to better prevent and reduce that harm. Unfortunately though, this is all unraveling now. And so I invited Wim van Dalen to help me understand the alcohol policy debate in the Netherlands. Wim tells the story of an alcohol prevention effort that got totally hijacked and derailed by the alcohol industry. It started with ambitious targets to better protect people from harm caused by the alcohol industry, but now the country faces the real possibility that alcohol will become even more easily and widely available. Talking with Wim is also very timely because there are important alcohol policy development processes going on at different national levels, at European and global levels, where the alcohol industry is also interfering and trying to get a seat at the table. But the case of the alcohol roundtable in the Netherlands illustrates clearly what the pitfalls are. Wim van Dalen is a sociologist and graduate of the University of Wageningen in 1976. He is one of the first university-trained health educators in the Netherlands. Wim worked for four years as a national policy officer at the former Federation of Alcohol and Drug Institutions and then worked for more than 15 years as a project developer and later as manager in a regional addiction institution. From 1986, Wim was a member of the advisory committee of the national alcohol campaign called Drink Destroys More Than You Would Like of the Ministry of Health, Welfare and Sport. From 1996 to 2002, he led this campaign as an employee of the Netherlands Institute for Health Promotion and Disease Prevention. And in 2002, Wim became the director of STAB 
He is also chairman of UCAM, a European network of organizations that focus on monitoring elbow marketing. We recorded our conversation on Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022. Wim van Dalen is one of the most renowned and accomplished public health alcohol policy champions in the Netherlands and Europe. In our conversation, he will touch upon some of the policy improvements he was part of bringing about in the Netherlands over the years. And in this capacity, Wim is now at the center of the current alcohol policy debate. Through talking with him, we get a seat in the front row to better see and understand the alcohol harm and policy solutions needed in the Netherlands and how the alcohol industry lobbies to derail and obstruct efforts to develop evidence-based public health actions on alcohol harm. Hello and welcome to the Alcohol Issues podcast and today I'm with Wim van Dalen. Wim, very welcome, warm welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time um, to come on the Alcohol Issues podcast and discuss alcohol policy issues in the Netherlands. Yeah, thank you well. Uh, thank you very much, Mike. I will do my best to give you a good impression of what's going on in my country. I'm really looking forward, Wim, and I think a great start is uh, to ask you what is STAP, your organization, and what is the work that you are doing? Yes, STAP is a relatively small organization um, and we focus uh, mainly on the lobby of the effective alcohol measures. That's our main task. And uh, people call us a kind of uh, watchdog institute. Uh, we have very experienced people, so they know what are the main issues related to alcohol policy. Um, well, you can also say that we are the Dutch safer boys. <laughs> so we focus on the safer advices of the WHO. And of course, we also work a lot together with all kinds of organizations in the Netherlands. So it's one of our tasks also to motivate colleagues from other organizations to, uh, to join these goals, to join these goals. We, we work already for many, many years. So many people know what is our role and um, and they are glad with our function because because we're not we're not dependent from a budget from the government so we are independent and if you are independent you can be in many situations in many discussions you can be more straightforward so I want to use this opportunity now that you are also talking about that you can be straightforward and go you have the freedom, so to say, to go right to the heart of the issues. Wim, um, in the Netherlands, what is the alcohol harm situation like? What are the biggest problems in, in your country caused by the alcohol industry? Yes, well, um, I will mention some main aspects. One mm -hmm. very general aspect that alcohol in the Netherlands is too normal. Mm -hmm. It's so normal that it's difficult sometimes for people that alcohol has really rather big risks, health risks, etc. 
people, many people think that alcohol problems are mainly problems for alcoholics. And we have to explain that's just a very relatively small aspect of the whole problem. We have 70% um, of the people in the Netherlands drink alcohol. We, per capita, we're not the highest in Europe, not at all, happily. We are under the average, seven, about 7.7 .7, uh, liter per capita per year. Um, but, um, and 10% of the whole population is drinking on the, what we call binge way. They're drinking too many glasses when they drink. It's important to mention shortly also that we have about more than 8,000 alcohol-related deaths in the Netherlands. And we have um, one third, a bit more of those deaths are cancer-related deaths. So cancer is a topic in the Netherlands, becoming a more actual topic in relation of alcohol and cancer. But we also have a lot of, um, well, what we call emergency first aid uh, victims. It's about 15,000 a year. So it's a lot. Mm and um well the last what i can say about uh, the drinking situation in the netherlands we have a health council advice it's an objective medical based health advice about alcohol and the advice is the best is no alcohol and if you want to drink drink at maximum one glass a day and more than 50 percent of the dutch people drink more than the advice of the health council and that's a very concrete issue what we communicate often that please listen to the advice of the health council so when it comes to per capita alcohol consumption the netherlands for example compared to neighboring germany is in a better situation where germany has very very high and for sure above the regional, the European region average per capita consumption, the Netherlands is uh, f is faring better there. But when it comes to this kind of higher risk alcohol consumption that is above these recommended limits, then it's actually the majority of the Dutch people. So I want to ask a little bit about, so if the per capita consumption is... Um, rather good how do you how do you talk about it uh, like that or is it already wrong of me to say that it's uh, rather good am i making a mistake here well it's not that bad compared with other countries that's that's but we are not an island of moderation what the industry is saying and they also refer always refer to the scandinavian countries they say they have a very severe alcohol policy but they drink more than the netherlands but that's not true so they use this position in terms of how many drinks we how, the alcohol consumption level as a kind of argument that we're doing enough. So that's another aspect of the fact that um, the industry is misusing this position mm -hmm. because, as you know, of course, compared with many other countries outside of Europe, we still use a lot of alcohol. And um, as I also mentioned, the, the negative consequences in terms of concrete data are really heavy. So we have a real alcohol problem, but it, happily, it could be worse. We cannot complain that much. That's also true.
And the problem is we didn't mention so far the young people. Uh, mm -hmm. We have we have a lot of success with try to uh, lower the number of young people who are drinking in the last 10, 15 years. But the problem is that as long as young those young people who are still drinking, many of them, them are binging. Mm -hmm. So we get a kind of development that happily more young people are not starting drinking too early. But those who drink are so it's for them so easy to drink alcohol is very cheap you can buy it everywhere so we have more specific risky groups in the netherlands and i think that brings us to the next question um, that you talked about the alcohol availability i think this point that you made earlier that alcohol is so normal in the netherlands you know them that um, resonates with me coming from germany It's so normal, as you said, that people don't even recognize and see the alcohol harm anymore. It's ingrained in our families and football clubs and workplaces. So we take it for granted. We, we lose sight of the fact that we can actually prevent this harm. We can actually reduce it. We can do something about it. And so I wanted to ask you, what is the current alcohol policy situation in the Netherlands? Are there some good measures in place where the Netherlands are doing Well, are there measures in place or that are lacking? Uh, you mentioned the best buys. How, how is the situation um, for the most cost-effective solutions in the Netherlands? Well, um, I should try to be short in my answer because I can tell you a lot of things. But um, one problem in, in terms of alcohol policy is the low price. And we have specifically uh, for some beer brands in the supermarket on the lower shelves, uh, beer is a very low price. Um, that's negative in that sense. But we have also some positive things, some positive things. That is, for example, since July, the first of July from last year, the alcohol The, the supermarkets and the shops cannot uh, offer alcohol um, with uh, a, a, a discount higher than 25%. So, and that was really successful in the sense that, well, uh, alcohol is a, is a bit less attractive for mm. people just going follow the price discounts. Before that, before that it was sometimes 50% discount, etc. So that's positive. Um, what is not so good so far is the compliance rate in terms of the age limits. We have an age limit of 18. It's um, realized in 2014. And um, well, we've done a lot on that, working together with some policy members of the parliament. So after th at least three, four years lobbying, we resulted in raising the age limit to 18. Wow. That was, that's one of our successes. I can be a bit, I'm not alone, of course, of course not, but uh, we did it with a group of people and mm -hmm. it was important. And, um, but it's important that supermarkets and especially also the catering industry really have to comply with the 18 limit. And that's still a problem. And especially mm -hmm. in the online Uh, compliance is very difficult. 
people who order online, etc. We have a good online regulation on paper, but not in practice. So, um, so we're still lobbying for the minimum unit price, for example, because this is one of our main lobby aspects now, because alcohol in general is too cheap. And of course, marketing. Of course, marketing is everywhere a problem. We have um, one just positive element of the marketing regulation that it's forbidden to have alcohol marketing on radio and TV during the day between six mm -hmm. and nine, six in the morning, nine in the evening. That's a positive thing. But as you know, of course, the rest of marketing is completely self-regulated. We lobbied many times already for more statutory regulations and um and what we what what is now more clear now that we have some concrete dutch data about the negative impact of digital marketing for example so we have some data but there's no change at all digital marketing is um, and also marketing in supermarkets etc is uh, really only self-regulated so it's uh, absolutely not effective the existing regulation yeah i think this is a very good summary um i think it ties back to what you said in the beginning vim that uh, stop is this um, voice for the most cost-effective alcohol policy solutions in the yeah. netherlands and what you have summarized is that across the three best buys pricing availability and marketing the Netherlands has really a lot more to do. So we have these ultra cheap beers in the supermarkets. We have the wide availability, even though you were able to raise the age limit. Congratulations. I'm, I'm very happy to hear this. Um, compliance is an issue. Other availability issues are there. And then the self-regulation, uh, that is uh, no regulation of alcohol marketing. I think this is um, a very good summary. And that brings us to, I think, a very peculiar way of uh, dealing with alcohol policy development in the Netherlands. And that is the so-called prevention agreement. Um, you and I, you have told me about it and we have discussed it. So can you briefly summarize what is the prevention agreement? Why, why did it come about and who is participating there? With the start of the of the last parliament, not the current parliament, but the last parliament, um, the polit politicians want to have an agreement about um, tobacco prevention and about also food prevention. And um, one of our partners in terms of policy making, one of our political parties, they also pushed alcohol. They say alcohol had also be a topic for a new policy. And um, but the condition was from the from the government, and uh, the condition was that it was a kind of new um, initiative in partnership with everyone. So mm. concrete in partnership with the industry. Mm. So um, when it started, of course we realized. The question, is it is it wise to do this? Is it wise to support this? But the minister, Ministry of Health and the, the State Secretary of, of Health, well, he was more or less 
familiar with our point of view. So we, we, give, we gave him the benefit of the doubt. And we were invited by the government to share that meetings, to share that development of this kind of new agreement. And, um, well, we have so far, we have the, the, we have the, the principle that if the government invites us, we don't say too fast no. Yeah. So we started with the idea, well, we will see. And that means that we were sitting at the table with all the partners, with maybe at least 15 persons from the health part, of course, also from the sporting institutes, the, the, the umbrella organizations for sport activities, and also health people in general and specific people from addiction care institutes. Mm -hmm. But of course, also alcohol industry, the beer people, the spirits people, the wine people were indirectly representative. The supermarkets were we so everyone was sitting at the table. So <laughs> in the beginning, it seems to be well rather positive. Some formulated some goals for 2040, but then it started working. Which kind of actions? Which kind of concrete suggestions? And then the the problems started rather immediately. Yeah, uh, rather immediately, and we discovered that the industry absolutely don't want to think and think and discuss about measures which are statutory based. They say we were talking about things that we all all agree about, and we cannot talk as a group people. We cannot talk about changing the laws, and we said why not? Because three best buys, etc. If you really want to have these concrete goals, reducing the number of what they call problematic drinkers, reducing the number of youths that drinks, reducing alcohol pregnancy, etc. These kind of very concrete. The, the data were rather concrete. The goals were rather concrete. But if it comes to actions, it became action number one: research. We need Dutch research with the idea that there is no research at all on those main topics. That's stupid, of course, because I showed them all kinds of research which already existed. Research, then education, then, of course, early dissection activities, then, well, those relatively soft measures who are sometimes not bad, of course, but are not really effective in terms of reducing the concrete problems and reducing the number of problematic drinkers. So we discovered this in the, what, well, I think we have so far maybe 10, 15 um, meetings with all those people and with specific working groups and we discovered that it has really no effective, and I can summarize it as what you can expect from my side. The alcohol industry is not the problem. The alcohol industry is the main problem. And um, if you want to solve alcohol problems with the alcohol industry, you first have to solve the position of the alcohol industry because they defend their position 
on a very clever way and um and it's for for civil servants and it's very very difficult to because we have to realize this at the background of these activities there is of course a very liberal parliament the netherlands has a liberal parliament so the lobby function of the industry in the direction of members of parliament is very strong in a country with a big a big world producer of beer heineken you have to realize that the lobby machine is very very developed and that is one of the positive points of what we did that more and more people not only stop and not only other already involved people realize now how strong the industry is they realize now even better how industry is working what of arguments they are using and so this is a bit strange advantage of what we did so far that well the opposition against the industry is 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 stronger but we are not that far that the parliament members are just ch changed very heavily in their opinion but on the other hand after four years, there is no concrete result in terms of reducing the problems. Absolutely no concrete results. But on the other hand, we are very better realized and better weaponed in our arguments that if we want, really want to change, the, the Minister of Health has to talk with health people on the one hand, and it's his of her choice to talk with the industry. So we need two tables instead of one. Not one table with all the partners, but we need one ta table with scientists and health people, and another table with the economic table with the economic partners, and the government had to decide. And so far, it's the idea that the one table has to decide itself about these, and that's impossible. That's really impossible. And we know it now, and more people know this, and that's the result of four years working. I want to get into this kind of um, hot discussion because I think you have mentioned some interesting um, dimensions already that the recognition of the lobbying tactics are is increasing in the Netherlands. And uh, the reason why I asked you to come on the Alcohol Issues podcast is also that I read a very good article in this uh, Follow the Money publication about what's going on. So I, I want to get into more depth there, uh, Wim. But can we uh, take one step back? So you said there, there, was an, there was a prevention agreement for tobacco food and then alcohol came there as well. And I just wanted to ask, is there a similar approach for tobacco that the the government convenes both the tobacco industry and the public health community all around one table or is this different for tobacco no we have three tables yeah mm -hmm. a tobacco table food table and alcohol table tobacco table is a, is a more stronger table because the industry is not at the table not at all yeah as FCTC, of course, forbids it. Yeah. So the tobacco people, the health people from the tobacco people, they say, we have, we made some concrete results. And I'm not a specialist in this, but one of the things that we see that 
taxation has increased concretely about tax tobacco and also the selling of tobacco in supermarkets is gradually gradually disappearing so we have some concrete developments it's slowly for, in my opinion but it's really progressing food and alcohol is the impact of those tables are minim minimal yeah. because the food table is also a complete table in terms of health people industry people etc so the and the results of the table are scientifically um, researched so there is a very sharp check of the results and that's a positive thing also the government yeah. also advised an institute a research institute a, a governmental based research institute to follow the developments and that institute is very concrete and they simply say no results so far so if you want really if you really want the results in 2040 you have to change your focus and that's a bit supporting our position at the moment. And I think it, uh, this is a very good contrast that you draw here. There is a tobacco policy roundtable. This is free from conflicts of interest with industry participants, and they are achieving results across what we in alcohol policy also call the best buy. So yes. you mentioned pricing and then, of course, um, availability tobacco products uh, not being present in supermarkets anymore in the Netherlands. And no, it, on the other still, hand... It's still present, but it's not visible anymore. You have to ah, ask. Yes. But it's ah, on, yeah. the long term, on the longer term, it will also um, disappear. Yeah. Thanks for that clarification. So that is one side. And then on the other side, I'm I'm very happy to hear that this is rigorously scientifically evaluated um, what is being done around these or with these um, roundtables. Um, and then there is uh, the, the alcohol policy roundtable that is basically hijacked by Heineken and other alcohol industry operators. And so there is no result. And you alluded to this, Wim. I have it in front of me. These really ambitious targets uh, for 2040 Um I think there are at least three. I, I have them here. A reduction in binge alcohol consumption among young people by 30 to 40 percent. Reduction of heavy and high risk alcohol use by 40 percent. This big problem that you talked about in the beginning. And then thirdly, I think you also mentioned it already. Cutting in half the use of alcohol by pregnant women. So really big societal problems. And now you said there is no progress towards these targets no no right and that's the advantage of having on the one hand concrete targets on the other hand a good scientific um, evaluation that makes it very clear that we have no success so far and so there is this prevention agreement and then there are these round tables and now i'm just asking a very Uh, concentrated question. The whole idea from the government is that all stakeholders come together and agree on measures that should be taken to reach those uh, three targets. Um, but as you have described, you are not able to actually agree on the most cost-effective measures to actually get to those targets, right? The alcohol industry always blocks it or 
what what is happening why can they dominate the the table the round table conversations and block everything well um i think it has to do with the soft position of the ministry of health um and because they realize that they are dependent from the governmental policy mm -hmm. so they realize that their space for change is not politically uh, supported. Um, another thing is, of course, that uh, we have very some very good civil servants, but there is also a change in jobs on the Ministry of Health, on each ministry and also Ministry of Health. And you need very experienced civil servants for that they realize what's going on and they have the position not to be too sensitive for lobby etc we have some very good civil servants but we have also a, a, a rather big change of people mm. and it's not a, a personal attack for me absolutely not but it takes a few years before you understand the whole these whole processes and that's uh, but the main problem is of course is of course that um, that we we have a liberal government we have um and we have a one party one big biggest party is economically based party of course and we have another big party who is based on the principle that everyone has to decide about his own future everyone has to decide about his own so we don't like restrictions so these two political forces yeah is is in in when you have those in the majority in the parliament it's very difficult to really Practicize the three best buys. So, it's it's not only the the the, the problems of the, the 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 resistance of the industry. It's also the the political umbrella. That's you need also the political umbrella, and of course there's a close lobby relation between some parties and the industry. That we can easily see that some people who left the parliament are now have now a position in the alcohol world so i think that's nothing new for countries in europe but we we now have seen this and when you see it and when you when you when you can when you can talk about it it's it's well it's it can maybe convince other people that um, a real change is necessary and also a political thinking a change of political thinking is necessary mm -hmm. because the health damage is very concrete mm -hmm. So do we accept every year more than 8,000 alcohol-related deaths? Is that what we accept? We are very, of course, we are very worried about COVID, but that's happily changing now. But alcohol and tobacco, we have 20,000 tobacco deaths in the Netherlands and more than 8,000 alcohol deaths besides all the other societal problems around alcohol. So, okay. Maybe it's uh, the result of four years fighting that we are more aware of what's really needed to change. Yeah, I, and I understand that there is a lack of political leadership, both in the top level of the Ministry of Health and then, of course, in the Parliament, especially in some of the political parties that rather give priority to the interests of the alcohol industry 
over the interests of the Dutch people, so to say. And so they allow the alcohol industry to hijack these roundtable discussions uh, to always focus or direct the focus on these ineffective measures. And they allow the situation as the evaluation shows that the Netherlands is not on track to reach the prevention agreement targets. And as you have, I think, also now highlighted with these, I think, revolving doors problems. And so there is more and more scrutiny now in the Netherlands about the tactics and strategies that the alcohol lobby is using. I mentioned already this uh, follow the money um, article. We have translated it into English, summarized it and translated it. So it's on our website also. And now I want to get into this uh, question, Wim. What is the current debate like? Do I understand it correctly that there is an advocacy momentum for alcohol taxation or minimum unit pricing and also for discussing availability, but actually the government wants to make alcohol more available right now. So maybe we should start with the pricing and then go to, to the availability. What's happening in the Netherlands with pricing, taxation, minimum unit pricing right now? Yes, it's a good question, of course, but these are the core issues. Um, minimum unit pricing is still, is still an option in the sense that it's still actual to discuss about it. Mm -hmm. uh, the the former uh, secretary of health he, um, he he launched a good research, and we were in Scotland, and uh, civil servants were in Scotland, etc. So um, we learned, we know about what 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 is the advantage of a minimum unit price policy, but there is no uh, political majority at the moment. But we go on with lobby for it, and um, and it, it's advantage. It's an it's a concrete advantage in terms of health protection. Uh, taxation is another uh, important point. Uh, there is a small change in terms of in terms of taxation. That means that the beer taxation is now a hundred percent related to the percentages of uh, beer. And before that, it was Plato-based and is more complicated based on content of categories, etc. That's a small advantage in the taxation of beer. Wine is still complicated. It's just based on two categories. Yeah. It's, it's eight lower than eight and higher than 8%. And so uh, Spirits has the best principle of taxation. And the main problem is that the the the, the beer uh, the, the sorry the taxation price is all many for many years not adapted to the inflation. So the the lobby resulted so far in keep the same price level and not adapted to inflation since six seven years already. So taxation is a, a real option for change. And I think we have to explain it. I have to say that it's not honest that all kind of products are adapted to the evaluation, to the inflation, sorry, but not uh, alcohol in general. So that's also an So in, in terms of price policy, some real um, 
things can develop the coming years. I hope, we hope that it will. In terms of... And can yeah. I just ask about the pricing dimension? Can you take this conversation at the round table as part of the prevention agreement or does the alcohol industry go bananas <laughs> when you do that? No, taxation is not accepted as a topic to talk about. They don't want to talk about statutory based measures. And taxation is, of course, statutory based. And it's also a point uh, that we have to realize that taxation is not a topic of the Ministry of Health. Mm. It's a topic of the Ministry of Economic and Financial Affairs. So we have to realize that alcohol policy is not only a argument, is not only a, a dominated by the Ministry of Health. It's, it's has to do with other ministries. And there's no one from these ministries at the table. Uh -huh. Yeah. So then I understand really the challenge that uh, you have in front of you to advance both uh, pricing best practices, minimum unit pricing, and then alcohol taxation, indexing it to the inflation rate. And uh, I think improving the tax, tr uh, tax uh, structure for uh, wine, especially. And the other question I asked you is about availability. I think there is a very interesting conversation going on, probably very peculiar for the Netherlands. So how is the government now looking at making alcohol even more available despite this prevention agreement and these ambitious targets? What's happening? We have now a rather good license system for alcohol. Um, for selling alcohol for at home and for drinking in the catering, etc., in the horeca, in the bars, etc., and um, that means that um, the majority of shops are not allowed to sell alcohol, and that's already going on for many, many years. But on the other hand, we have about eight, eighty thousand possibilities for buying alcohol. We can buy wow. alcohol everywhere. But still, there now is a lobby from shop owners and also from municipalities to soften those uh, regulations, to soften those licenses that you can also buy alcohol. They say, why not if you, if you sell a new sweet for yourself if you sell new shoes if you go to the barber it's so pleasant that he can offer you a drink mm. and that's not the main problem what also is a problematic situation is that the supermarkets they don't say it they are a bit careful in mention these possible options but it's very clear that the supermarkets also want to offer taste moments for clients that you can taste a new wine or you can taste beer when you're visiting a supermarket. Yeah. So there's a very strong um, fight for the Netherlands to soften the existing li licenses. And um, what we, we call it blurring, that means make it fake fake more fake and um, it has to do 
for some people with the fact that online shopping and online ordering is inc has increased, of course, so that many shopping centers are, well, sometimes less pleasant. It's a lot of empty spaces mm. uh, in the shopping areas. So they say we need it. it had to be more comfortable. It had to be more pleasant for people to visit our shop. So, and this is a strong fight now from the government because in the new plans of the new government, there's formulated that we are pro-blurring. Mm. And uh, it's completely against the goals of the prevention table. It's yeah. completely against the concrete data that we want to reach in 2040. Because availability, well, it's not necessary to explain. If the availability is is exploded in the Netherlands, then forget the goals of the prevention table completely. And can you just give me the number? Because this last point is very important that this blurring proposal that would actually explode uh, the availability of alcohol. It's already easily and widely available. I th you mentioned the 80,000 outlets, but how big would it be? I think there is a number with uh, the blurring being adopted. Well, it's just an estimation, Mike. It's so... You can imagine if you have now two shops in a shopping street and then you have maybe four or five or ten. Well, it, it's really it will be exploded and like all the hairdressers and so on yes it's the hairdressers of course but not only the hairdressers sometimes it seems to be only a discussion about hairdressers but that's not the case it's 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 much many more shops and and also the what i said the offering uh, a, a, a taste taste opportunities in shops And um, so alcohol become more and more normal in that case. And also in the morning, for example, that if people go for shopping, then they, we have already examples, concrete examples of people in recovery. Some concrete example who went to a shop, um, he went to a barber shop and the barber asked, do you want to drink? I said, no, sorry, I'm, I'm, I don't like alcohol. I cannot drink, etc." And, but the barber persisted and he said, why not? And when the, when he was finished and he left the shop, the barber said, wait, I give you a bottle of beer. You can drink it at home. So there are already examples because the, the blurring discussion made many shops already thinking, well, it's already arranged. So we, we can do it already. And uh, some some governments, some municipalities, some gov municipalities, because it's a local thing, of course, The, 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 it's, it's, it's a local thing to check what's going on and some municipalities are a bit fake and are not that specific uh, focused on this kind of enforcement so but it's a, it's a high political issue in the Netherlands and um, we have um, uh, as health network we are completely against and also at least 30 researchers 30 professors from university, etc., wrote a letter about this. So it's um, it's broadly shared that um, blurring is absolutely 
in contra contradiction with our health <clears throat> health goals. I think this example that you shared from the person going to the hairdresser, the person being in recovery from alcohol use disorder or addiction, going to the hairdresser and alcohol being pushed on, on that person. I think this is uh, such a resounding example of what this alcohol norm does that you talked about in the very beginning of our conversation. And alcohol is not just normal, but now we have created societies like in the Netherlands where alcohol is being pushed on people all the time. Of course, we can think of the young people easiest, like the alcohol industry, Heineken. They, they want young people to start consuming alcohol early and a lot. Um, but alcohol is being pushed on women. Women should start and consume a lot. And there is no respect for any other choice. Like even an alcohol user might not want to go to the hairdresser and be offered beer in the, in the morning on a Saturday, you know. But the, the alcohol industry and the alcohol norm are dominating our society. So thanks for sharing this, this example. I think it really brings home what it is that we are looking at. And now I have listened to you, Wim, um, is explaining the prevention agreement and uh, summarizing the reality of the alcohol roundtable conversations. And what I'm hearing is that the Netherlands has ambitious targets with the prevention agreement for protecting people from alcohol harm, but is not on track to achieve them because the alcohol industry blocks all the best scientific, scientifically proven interventions. And at the same time, the government, even though there is the prevention agreement and there are these roundtable conversations, is now even going the other direction, the wrong direction with making alcohol even more available. So what is your lesson thinking about this experience the last four years that you mentioned what what are the lessons that we can learn from from your experience there with involving the alcohol industry and having this kind of prevention agreement the first lesson is that more people now in the netherlands um, are convinced of the fact that the industry is not capable of supporting the solution of the problems, but the industry is the problem. And I think it's important that more people realize that if we really want to have a more healthy society in terms of alcohol-related harm, we really need to change some laws. We nearly, need, absolutely need it to change some existing regulations about taxation, about availability, and of course about marketing. And we have to stress that all the actions of the industry, all the strategies they use, all the arguments they use, doesn't bring us further. And that is what we know now. So, it's for the industry gradually becoming more difficult to defend their supposed solutions. They're still focusing on education. They're focusing on low, zero alcohol 
as a better opportunity. I have to realize, I have to stress that the industry is not saying that below 18 you have to start drinking. That's absolutely what they're not doing. So I think in general, our existing policy is more protective for minors. I think that's, that's, I have to be honest to say that. Although marketing is still, uh, and the low price is still, of course, a real concrete problem. But on the other hand, we succeeded in making alcohol less normal for minors. But on the other hand, 18 is, of course, not an age, you know that better than me. It's not the age that after 18, there's no problem anymore. So there, we have to realize that an, an age limit is also a an element of the policy, could not be a policy in itself. So, um, but the fact that we have um, very concrete experience now, that if we want to change the situation, if we want to improve our health system in that in the health situation in the Netherlands related to alcohol, we have to change, really change some existing laws. We have to make people aware of the necessity of a higher price. We have to make people aware of the availability issue. But of course, it, we didn't mention it so far, Mike, we have also to inform people about the health risk of alcohol. Of course, is labeling also an issue? Health warnings is an issue. You cannot get political support for these things if the majority of the population is, doesn't, doesn't understand the reason why. So we have also our obligation to inform people. You cannot expect it only from measures because we need, of course, support from the measures. And we have to see the same with the tobacco discussion. As soon as more and more people realize the health impact of smoking, then there's a better support for measures. And that's the same way we have to go on with alcohol. We cannot force people to change their habits. We cannot force politicians to change their opinion. It's, it's need to be supported by early in of by honest information about what is alcohol for a kind of toxic drug yeah and in the beginning you mentioned the big um, alcohol related cancer burden um in the netherlands i think eight thousand alcohol related deaths and one third of those you said are actually from alcohol related cancer so that's a staggering number. And I think there you are uh, onto something that uh, people have a right to know. Everybody in the Netherlands has a right to know that alcohol causes cancer. And um, I think we know that when people actually learn that alcohol causes cancer, they start supporting these alcohol policy solutions that you have talked about here today. So I, I think you're making a good point how these things also uh, fit together in democratic societies, of course, um, people's understanding, recognition of the real harm. And I think the cancer topic is also important because it's a counterweight to this normalization um, that, that you have talked about. So, aha, if we realize that alcohol is uh, causing cancer like tobacco, like asbestos, of course, we also realize that that has to be much less normal. We shouldn't push it on people on a, a Saturday morning in a hairdresser or 
or in a supermarket. Indeed, yes. Good summarized, yes. And my final question then, Wim, because I think this is a remarkable conversation. I think it's really good to learn these lessons, you know, so to speak, live as you are in this uh, process and, and in these efforts to improve alcohol policy in the Netherlands. With the blurring, blurring proposal now, do you think it can still be avoided? You have this big support also that you mentioned. Um, or do you think that it will go through with the support of the government? What, what do you anticipate? At least it's a hard struggle, but it's, it's possible that it's going from the table. It's really possible. Unless we are strong together as lobbyists from the health point of view. And if we also realize that we have to lobby effectively also, talk with parliament members, etc. But the problem is, of course, health people are not, well, are not used to lobby so strongly. And they have no time, too, too much time to lobby. So it's also a simple thing that we need, we need to realize that lobby is a, has to be an element of our work. That means explain to parliament members that they, they are really aware of what's going on. And the last two years, it was all COVID, COVID, COVID. And alcohol is, was suddenly a very minor topic. So we learned from the industry that they organize their lobby very effectively. Of course, they have more people. They have many more people to lobby. But now we discovered also together with health organizations that without a good lobby, we don't have, we don't, we will not have the result in terms of preventing the blurring decision. So that's my hope. And, um, It's, it's really concrete success that we worked more uh, together with uh, important uh, relations, important lobby, uh, important network uh, people. Yes. Yeah, and I think you have done it before. Like you mentioned earlier, the, the good licensing system that you uh, have, uh, the age limit uh, that you were able to um, get, And also the decision uh, last year that you talked about, uh, that is, I think, about price promotions. Um, so I think that it's possible. You have shown that it's possible also to uh, win over this uh, very aggressive alcohol industry lobby in the Netherlands. And so, Wim, two things um, to conclude. Number one, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and uh, taking uh, your time. You are very busy um, explaining the situation in the Netherlands. I have learned a lot. I think this has been very insightful. And secondly, most important, good luck, Wim, with your uh, very important work, being the watchdog and doing this public health-oriented uh, lobbying advocacy work. Uh, I really wish you all the best and we will follow Let us know if we can support in any way. But for now, thank you so much and, and all the best. 
thanks to Wim van Dalen for taking the time to talk in depth about the alcohol policy debate in the Netherlands and lessons that we can draw from there and for sharing insights into Big Alcohol's lobbying strategies. This podcast episode is part of Movendi International's work to advance alcohol policy solutions, improve understanding of the benefit of evidence-based alcohol policy action, and expose the unethical practices of the alcohol industry. In the show notes, we share resources about alcohol harm, alcohol policy solutions, and alcohol industry practices in the Netherlands. Your feedback questions and suggestions for future topics and guests is most welcome. Please get in touch at mike.dunbier at movendi.ngo. You can also find my email address in the show notes. And you can reach me on Twitter and find all the other contact details in the show notes too. The Alcohol Issues podcast is made by Arin Pino, Taraka Ranchigoda, and Kristina Sperkova. That's it for the Alcohol Issues podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and stay well and safe and talk to you soon. <music>